Trust in mainstream media outlets has been declining rapidly over the past few years. But what is there to replace it? The answer is independent journalists on platforms like YouTube and Twitter Spaces. And Mario Knopfel is dominating Twitter Spaces, breaking news and sharing all of the facts on emerging stories in real time. We talked about how he grew that, how he made a relationship with Elon Musk, how he's now a leading source of information in the market. And we also had a very extensive, extensive conversation about my meetings with Three Arrows Capital. You guys do not want to miss this. That's dope. That's dope. Listen, you started Twitter Spaces about crypto. And like, that was 100% the content, what it was based on. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but when FTX went down, the SBF thing, you had this marathon spaces that lasted like 47 years. Elon Musk showed up, everybody else showed up. And then all of a sudden you became the most reliable source of news on Twitter. Is that correct? Man, I'll, t- I'll tell you who we can blame. We can blame Poland. Why Poland? Well, in the, while I was covering FTX in the second marathon, we we're doing it for 15 hours and I was going to wrap it up. I'm like, guys, you know, we did one for 30 hours. This one's gone on for 15, whatever hours. And I need to go to sleep. The hack was already finished, FTX hack, and I'm done for the day. And then, and then my co-host, and no joke, like, man, I don't want any more breaking news. No joke goes, Mario, it, like two minutes later, he's like, breaking news. And this one's very serious, guys. A missile just landed in Poland. I was during the G20 summit. A missile, a Russian missile just landed in Poland. Everyone flooded to my space wanting to learn about the missile. And I got a bunch of military guys and we started covering what we called the missile crisis back then, trying to analyze what the hell is happening. Is that just an accident or is it, is it Russia and you know, attacking a NATO country? And then that was the beginning of where I am today. And that's covering global events. Which I'm a big fan of politics. I've been a fan of politics since I was a kid, but now covering global events, politics and it, almost pretty much everything. We, we, we've got doctors coming on today. We have a space about Andrew Tate. It was meant to be yesterday, but Twitter crashed. So we're doing it in a few days. Yesterday, we covered the hearing on Twitter censorship live. So it's, it's, it's just every day is a different topic, whatever's, you know, whatever's gaining traction at the time or whatever I find interesting. So you basically found an opportunity to expand massively and to grow a huge audience and to become a legitimate news source as opposed to just focusing on the crypto market. And you did it in a matter of weeks. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So we still have the, so we've got two Twitter accounts now. We've got the crypto roundtable, the roundtable one. That one does three crypto shows a week. Um, and I think it's the biggest space on crypto right now. And then we we have, and I co-host it. So I come in as a co-host to try to get the my audience to come in. And then we have the main ones on my account, which are world news, et cetera. So it's both of these. And um, we're doing an AI roundtable now because I find that topic fascinating. And obviously, it's getting all the hype now. Um, so we'll be doing, uh, you, you got a bit of a, you know, you got a sample of our AI capabilities earlier. Uh, so we'll be doing an AI, AI roundtable starting next week. Okay. So being a little more serious, I guess, do you think that this success that you've had, the growth of Twitter spaces, the growth of Twitter as a news source has somewhat continued this this trend of mainstream media dying and becoming less trusted and less reliable? I mean, you could argue that you have more traffic, 
more listeners, more eyeballs than your average primetime mainstream media TV show. Yeah, so we've we've beaten some of the biggest, you know, the the investors like to always compare me to CNN uh, and compare the numbers to CNN. Our numbers are insane. And obviously, when Elon joins, it's a different discussion. But without Elon, the numbers are still pretty high. The, the problem there is now, and that exists everywhere, including in crypto, and we saw that with, um, I think it was the block and the money they received from, from FTX. Was it the block? Was that yeah, the block. The, the block. Yeah, yeah, the block. Uh, yeah. CEO was effectively yeah, exactly. tens of exactly. millions from so, Sam Bateman Fried. So that's a perfect example of of media bias. But social media is not really the solution. You got social media is full of just a bunch of echo chambers. So there's just no with the amount of misinformation and disinformation there is today. It's just really difficult to get the facts. And I've always obsessed with facts since I was a kid because I've seen the damage that misinformation could do and it's done to my family as a kid um it's a whole different discussion and you know kind of led to my obsession with facts since i was a kid and, and always being fact-based and that led me to to this today um and you know, what started as crypto and trying to get good healthy debates even in crypto i try to always balance it out when we talk about a certain protocol whether it's solana versus, versus ethereum for example we get a bunch of solana guys we get a bunch of ethereum guys we've done a few bitcoin maxi debates we've got a bunch of bitcoin maxis and NFT maxis, like two different worlds. Um, and then the same thing is happening in politics. If we're covering anything political, we get Democrats, Republicans. We've had two senators debate on stage um, and the list goes on. So, and, and so how do you then make sure that you're actually presenting factual information when we obviously know that mainstream media has a right or left bias generally? Yeah. So I'm, we, whenever, when we cover breaking news, we had a fact checker. Uh, his name was Chet. He was my co-host at the time as well. And he was also obsessed with facts. So he, you can only fact check so much, but he'll always reference the source as well. Uh, that's number one. Uh, we're hiring a new fact checker now. All The only job will be on the space correcting any false information. So we always stick to facts because, you know, I've seen the damage that misinformation could do when I get things wrong. I got one thing wrong when I first started my space. And it wasn't good for the for the for the project that we got the information wrong on, even though it was only for a few minutes, and we corrected it after like three four minutes. And the person that was feeding us information fed us misinformation. Um, so that's that's number one. But number two is what we try to do is keep it balanced. So facts is one thing, but facts are also you know don't always apply. A lot of times it's, it's a battle of opinions. So when I did the gender pronouns, you know, there's all that hype now about gender pronouns. Um, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, in, you're in Florida, so you know what I'm talking about. So, so I did a space on this. It was an insane space. Uh, there's, it's just hard to get facts. Oh, you know, again, I don't want to sit there debating this, but it's, it's not a discussion of facts, a discussion of, of free speech versus um, you know, minorities, etc. And, and the way to get these debates going is to get people that you know, are supporting pronouns and people that are vehemently against it. And I even sent, I tweeted a screenshot a while ago. A person on stage had 70% of my other speakers blocked or they were blocking her. Uh, I can't remember which one's which. And it was in the gender pronouns debate and she tweeted the screenshot. She, yeah, she, she tweeted the screenshot. And uh, it happens all the time. I have people on my stage that have each other blocked, but they're sitting on my stage debating or chatting. So I, I, I just enjoy that. I, like, I see the change. I see the impact we're having. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, in it for the ride. And I've got a team with me now. So I, when I do, I did a 15-hour space four days ago. I only spoke for two, three hours. 
So there's a team that I've trained, uh, other moderators, hosts, uh, that are also you know, following the same process of making sure we're fact-based and keeping every panel balanced. Like if I, if I have a panel that's getting too imbalanced, like you know, 80% uh, people are conservative and only 30, 20, 30% liberal, um, I end the space because I'm like, this is not balanced. And there's, you know, either we try to balance it, we try to get speakers or we just end it. That's how obsessed I am with that. How did you end up getting Elon Musk on the space? Was it completely luck? He just showed up and you were like, holy shit, I can't believe this just happened. Or was there actually some sort of planning and communication there? And then I guess the second question is, how in touch with him are you now? Do you invite him to your spaces? Does he just randomly show up? How does that work? He doesn't randomly show up anymore. And he's actually taking a break from spaces now. You know, he's having headaches with the SEC. Um, anything, any, anytime he jumps in now, like the, the time he came in with the with the interview we're doing with Mark Andreessen, uh, it's an invite. So I just shoot him a DM saying, "Hey, you know, you're free now." So and he came in. You. Oh no, not, uh, yeah, I don't know if he's following me, but we have. Uh, so he DM'd me, so I can DM him out, that, back. But I'm not sure if he's following me. I haven't checked uh, yeah. if that changed. But a few weeks ago, he wasn't. And um, yeah, so we we just DM each other. And he's doing a strategy. Like it's not that he likes me or I like him. It's nothing. To, it's just a, a pure strategy. And I understand that. It's a value exchange. The value he brings me is just a massive audience. And the value I bring him, and I'm building Twitter space. I'm helping build Twitter Spaces, and we're communication with the Twitter Spaces team. And I love what he's what he's standing up for. Like the the, the fight against censorship is something I respect. And I think it's something the world needs, no matter what your ideology is. So yeah. So so that's the value exchange that we have. The first time he came on was during the FTX saga. So we're doing a space and we commented in one of his tweets to jump on and he just walks up and we bring him up as a speaker. And, and the first thing he says on my space was Doge to, the moon, uh, Doge to the moon and then Doge just pumps. But the problem is, uh, this is this is recorded and not everyone's listening live, Scott. So that means Doge pumped only a bit. Uh, I can't remember, like 7% or something. When that came out, but then when the recording finished, it was a 20 hour space. And when we ended the recording, people were listening to the recording and that's where the dough started pumping more because people were like shit and the media started covering it. And that's where it started pumping a lot more. Another, another good one. I don't, do you know the Hunter Biden story? Were you there? I mean, I know that you had him on there, but I unfortunately missed that spaces, but I, yes, I remember the fact that you had a Hunter Biden spaces. Yeah, it was a, he doesn't do any, any interviews at all. And he did ours. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but it was a, a shit show, man, because he, he my show blew show. up. Yeah, it, but the, it, it, he, he, whether you like him or not, the interview went so bad because he wanted to come and talk about NFTs. And that's before FTX, before I blew up, when I was still a purely crypto show. And he gave us a list of questions that we can only ask. Like, this is it. These are the questions you can ask. That's it. And we're like, hey, you're Hunter Biden. Fuck it. Yeah, no problem. We'll just ask those questions because they'll just bring more awareness to the NFT space, like having Hunter Biden come talk about NFTs. And uh, poor guy, uh, he delayed the interview because the elections were then. And, and then when he delayed it, FTX blew up. And now I'm in everything space and everyone's coming to listen to my space, you know, such a big audience. So when he comes on, everyone expected me to grill him like we grilled Sam Bankman-Fried and others. Uh, but we couldn't because we had questions. Otherwise, he'll just jump off or doesn't do the interview. And then, uh, you know, we ask him questions. It glitches out. He jumps off. And I do a rant about how I couldn't ask him questions. And I'll never do that again. And Fox News was in the audience. I know they're usually in the audience. But that, that time, they had a lot of people in the audience. And then, uh, you know, a few hours later, I'm on the front page of Fox News on their website. And I was on, on their TV as well. They made a whole story about Hunter Biden and the NFT project and how they didn't let me ask questions. 
So that was a, a fascinating experiment. And again, man, like this is days, you know, like what, two weeks since my show, less than two weeks since my show blew up. A week and a half before that, I was just a guy talking about NFTs and different protocols and Sui versus Aptos. <laughs> now here I am dealing with Fox News calling me trying to get some dirt on Hunter Biden. It's interesting because it's like inception. You're a news source that's become so big and so scrutinized that the news is covering you as the news. <laughs> Which I respect. And I, funny enough, Scott, a lot of people, a lot of people in my audience love to hate on, on mainstream media. And it's in my best interest to hate on them as well. But I tell people, I'm like, look, mainstream media is not all in one bucket. You can't compare Fox and CNN to Reuters, for example. Right. And some are more biased than others. And you know, I've, I've, you know, having that approach to it, the, the news doesn't feel too alienated to cover me. They're like, because I'm not sitting there shitting on them every day. Otherwise, they would never cover me. And the fact that I'm very objective about them, you know, I criticize them when they should be criticized. I criticize their incentive models. They're heavily misaligned incentive models. Uh, but at the same time, like I give them, I help them cover a story because it just gets more eyes to the story. When we did the moon, do you remember the story of Moonstone Bank and FTX? Yes. Um, yeah. So we were the first to cover it. And we were the first to bring Moonstone Bank and their executives on our space. And, and then my, my co-host at the time, who's ex-intelligence, he was grilling the, the executive from Moonstone. And then we got the media and, and invited them, briefed them, gave them the recording, told them where to go and what segments are important. That, that's what made it easy for them to create a story out of it. And we do this to this day. Like now the media reaches out to me about Andrew Tate because now suddenly I'm the Andrew Tate expert because we covered it once. Um, and then we, what we do is we try to make it easy for them by, you know, the BBC is coming on my show on Tuesday because they did a documentary on Andrew that came out two days ago. Um, and then we just try to facilitate it for them. And um, when it goes to crypto, to kind of focus a bit more on crypto, uh, what we did as well, not only worked with the media to try to explain to them that, hey, FTX is not crypto. FTX is centralization. It goes against the whole ethos of crypto. Uh, we tried to educate regulators as well. I would see premiers and, and senators in my audience while I was covering the FTX story because they were interested. And whenever I see them, I kind of interrupt the space, not to give them a shout out because they, they, they don't want people to know they're there. But just to kind of remind the audience, I do it on purpose. I'm like, okay, I see a bunch of senators there. Just want to remind everyone that FTX is not crypto. FTX is, 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 is an example of why we need crypto and why we need DeFi. So I start trying to twist the story so then they get the right message instead of getting the wrong message of like, hey, crypto's a scam. And it worked well. We had the chief... Uh, what was it? The the, the ex Trump, not advisor. He's like chief, you know, chief of staff. I think it was. I can't remember his name. And he was on the show. And what was cool is that when he came on, Scott, he came on and started talking about DeFi. You know, we love to hate on regulators. I thought I'll have to explain to him the basics of crypto. He came on and started telling me. And I'm not talking about Anthony Scaramucci, which we all know understands crypto. This is the ex chief of staff for the Donald Trump administration coming on and telling me about the importance of DeFi. Right. And so you're actually influencing the people who have influence, not just the media, but these people as well. Have you had any other experiences where you've been surprised at the level of knowledge that someone's come on has had about crypto, a regulator, a legislator, something like that? Or do you still feel like we're wildly, you know, largely flying under the radar? 
No, man. Look, I, I have senators and, and, and politicians, lawmakers, mainly from the US, but from other countries as well. You know, I had Andrew Yang. You remember Andrew Yang? Of course. Um, know. Exactly. Yeah. So he was on my show two days ago, I think, or two or three days ago. And it, you'd be surprised. Like he's an, an advisor to a bunch of DAOs. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Andrew Yang here. But even you, you get into the, uh, you know, the, the older lawmakers, and they still understand, you know, they're not stupid. For them to get, I know, again, we love to hate on them, but to, to, become, a, to become a senator is not easy. And obviously, some of them are not smart. Many of them are not smart. But They're very good at raising you know, they, money and marketing now. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good at raising money. They're good at marketing. And, but they, look, they understand more than they, you know, they don't, like, when you interview them, when you see them on TV, I was covering the hearing yesterday when they're talking about censorship, they say one thing behind the scenes and they say something else completely different on camera. And that's because, again, misaligned incentive. Their incentive is to attract and impress voters. So if saying crypto is a scam gets voters excited and agreeing with them, they'll say that instead of saying, hey, crypto is not a scam, but centralization is the problem. When they're a, law a government lawmaker saying that, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. So while they may seem stupid when they when they talk on camera and, and they're trying to impress investors uh, sorry uh, voters um they know that you know they know more than than we think and they understand more than we think that's not everybody i'm just talking about the uh you know at least the ones i've interacted with i know there's a bunch of stupid ones that don't know anything so uh, yeah there are a bunch of stupid ones who don't know anything but there's always going to be stupid ones that don't know anything about this industry or any other industry, but I do think that we've seen at least them taking an interest, probably a forced interest, right? Their constituents demand an opinion on Bitcoin or crypto, or they start to hear about it from the people in their district. But even, I hate to bring up SBF, but even when we saw him initially going into congressional and Senate hearings, it would usually be a bunch of senators and Congress people like shooting out these anti-crypto talking points, you know, environment, climate, ESG, China, and then through time with him, unfortunately, it seemed like they started to listen and ask more intelligent questions and actually engage with our community. Maybe that's now blown up since he blew up. I'm not sure, but it did seem like we were actually getting somewhere. Like, man, we can't make this shit up, Scott. Like, we spoke a bit during the implosion. Who would have thought SPF, the guy that was. Uh, kind of leading the charge with regulators, educating them on crypto, explaining to them why crypto's, you know, crypto's the future and crypto's not a scam and how to regulate crypto, turned out to be the biggest crook of the space. It's like you know how you can't blame them. Like the guy screwed the hell out of them. A lot of them, there's a lot of money that was. I think they're clawing back donations to a lot of politicians. Yeah, I saw yeah, that a few the, days ago. That's the rumor. <laughs> Man, they they like we deserve a few punches. I'm just gonna tell you that we deserve a few punches. Um, I know that we again we can't put everyone in the same basket, but there's just the the amount of shady stuff done during the bull market, the amount of crazy stuff done, and we saw that in 2017 without any regard for the law. I remember in 2017 because I launched IBC in 2017, everyone was launching an ICO. And me and, and, and one of my executives were talking with a lawyer and they're like, hey, man, everyone's doing an ICO. They're like, they're all going to get sued by the SEC. I'm like, there's no way. 
all these people, reputable people, business people, one after another every day. Is, we talk to, to uh, 10, 20 projects a day that want to launch an ICO. There's no way they're all going to get caught by the SEC. And then what happens two, three, four years later, SEC sending out letter after letter. Um, so this time around, uh, you know, I kind of understood that you know, regulators eventually catch on and nothing lasts forever. But we kind of saw, saw the same exuberance again uh, in that bull market where projects were pumping 10x one after the other, people launching NFT project, projects rugging. Like we had a lot of projects, you know, we invest in, they rug and they disappear. And I'm sure you had the same thing. And the NFT projects were like the same thing on steroids. It was easy. So uh, I was not involved in NFTs at all in the bull market. Yeah. It was just so dirty, so nasty. Um, so I just... I just don't think it's fair to complain when regulators come in and, and put out a few laws that may not make sense and may need a bit of polishing and that will take time. But there is a lot of crooks that are still, you know, we were talking about you being in Dubai a few days ago. A lot of them are here in Dubai. There's still a lot of crooks in the space. Um, and I think, it, it, you know, a cleanup is needed. What was it? Draining the swamp is the term that, that is being used now. So so the swamp does need to be drained. And I think it, it's, it just needs more time. And I understand when regulators uh, want to come in heavy handed, like, you know, there's, a, there's no better story uh, to give them to come in heavy handed. But again, their incentive is to impress voters. And if the American public is involved in crypto, the American public is not getting screwed by NFT project after NFT project, then the American public will, will, will then vote for regulators that support crypto. But if the American public just lost money with FTX, lost money getting rug pulled one, one time after another, then the voters are pretty, you know, they've got a sour taste in their mouth. I still have my CryptoPunk as my profile pick, uh, despite me doing political spaces. And it feels awkward as hell when I'm getting all these different politicians and stuff. And I got that little stupid, goofy CryptoPunk with that smile. Um, but, you know, I'm doing it just kind of, you know, I just can't get myself to remove it. But um, there is a stigma now. I'm not talking about regulators anymore. Just talking about just your average Joe. There's a stigma about crypto and it's back to people calling it a scam, which I never thought we'll have again. I thought we're past that stage. But then again, events and stuff like the, the, the community, not the community, crypto as an ecosystem is not even comparable to what we saw in 2018. 2018 was there's nothing. It was dead. It was like an ice age. Now there's still projects raising a lot of money. We had, didn't we have the three arrows capital guys just raise $25 million or was that a rumor is false? Yeah, that is a hundred percent true. And that's the one time I left the resort during Dubai was to crash a meeting that I wasn't invited to with Kyle from three arrows capital. And I listened to their entire pitch, all their excuses, everything. I basically sat there in disbelief and asked him a lot of very hard questions and told them how sort of uh, mean I had been to them on Twitter and that my opinion hadn't really changed. But yes, I can tell you that they are actively have raised money. It took less than a couple of days for them to get the $25 million for their new exchange. And they're actively selling a related coin, OTC, over the counter to all the huge whales, Flex token from the old exchange, CoinFlex. And they're having the time of their lives, think that they're completely off the hook and that life is great and they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars again. So what does that tell you about this space? That's interesting. Can you tell me more about that meeting? So you crashed a meeting? So I, I, I can't divulge who the meeting was with, but it wasn't with me. It was Kyle and Sue were meeting with a very well-known venture capitalist, another institutional guy 
both of who were going very critically, not with any interest in actually doing business with them, but you get the opportunity to go ask these guys questions and you take it. And I just showed up. <laughs> the, the, my, the other two were my friends. They said, just come because I'm a Voyager creditor and I wanted some answers on what happened with Voyager and Three Arrows Capital. And these guys are actively meeting with everyone. They're basically on a roadshow and you know doing their sort of PR campaign. And their pitch effectively right now is that they did nothing wrong. They took institutional money. They never took retail money. It's the fault of the people who gave them the money that they simply blew up. They lost themselves. Everybody else who was invested in them lost. Hedge funds blow up all the time and they should be able to move on with their lives. I obviously disagree, but that's basically the narrative. And that uh, I will say that they believe that uh, because of their dealings with Genesis, that the bigger criminal in crypto will prove to be Barry Silbert and that DCG will have a lot of major problems because they're registered in the United States, unlike Sam Bankman fried And so for them, it's violations of securities law. I This is all, I'm telling you what they said. I'm not telling you that it's fact, but... Dude, I'm quite sure that you're there and you could get a meeting with them right now if you want to go ask them these questions. That's crazy, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's just so disheartening. It's like I go through this cycle every time. In 2017, I went through it. Because when you're when you're doing the right thing, um, you know, I'm I'm just talking in general, but when you're doing the right thing, you know, you've never done an ICO, have you? No. Okay, no. neither have I. No. So when you see person after person doing it and raising money like crazy, it's a bad feeling. You know, even if you're financially well off, it's a bad feeling. Like I can do the same thing. You know, I had the second biggest uh, consulting agency back in 2017, and, and they just you know one after the other does it. And then when the market crashes, obviously they're still sitting on a lot of money. But when you see regulators take action, you get that warm feeling. I'm like, like I, 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 you know, I don't talk about it publicly. It's not nice to when someone else gets arrested to be happy about it. But still, like I'm like. Okay, maybe I did the right thing. I didn't, you know, do launch an ICO. Here I am, sleeping happy, did the right thing, and and they're, they're potentially going to jail. And then you see it again happen in the NFT market. You know, I'm I'm sure you never launched an NFT project. I I was just I've totally never... disinterested in that whole space and didn't understand it. So I I kind of missed it like you did. Yeah. So I I was very interested. I adored the space and I have a crypto punk. But I I I is just way the you know, the amount of rug pulls and the way that everything was pumping is just worth worth worse than the 2017 euro. And I go into the same feeling, like, fuck, I can launch an NFT project so easily. And then they're all pumping and everyone's just making a lot of money. People come to me every day, Mario, launch an NFT project. I'm sure you had the same thing, especially with your reach. Um, and 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 then again, now I'm I'm I was hoping to have regulators take action. I'm like I did the right thing. But when you see someone like three arrows capital, which I thought they're in hiding, I genuinely thought, you know, everything so, you read about them, everything so you see about I. them, like these guys, there's no way of, you know, are we getting rumors or where they're hiding, et cetera. Um, and and I, I like to have them just sitting walking around Dubai and meeting people and raising money from reputable VCs. I don't know who their investors are. I haven't had time to look at it. I've been a bit out of the loop to the crypto, crypto gossip. But it's just, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a bummer. Like, yeah, we're back. Then we, like, we need regulators to take action. Like, I'd rather. I, who, who do you want to hate? Regulators who are just, you know, trying to impress voters and don't understand things, or people that are just literally scamming others or, or making decisions that are hurting others financially. And in this case, I'm referring to obviously Three Hours Capital. Um, and then back to your Barry Silbert. We were, we were the. 
I don't know if the, one of the very early guys to blow the whistle on on Genesis, and I got a lot of hate for it. We had an insider that worked at Genesis. It's a, it's a space. It's recorded. They come in, and he broke the story about how much money um, DCG uh, owed Genesis and the loans that were the the, the 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 loans they had, and that's before it was public. And when I tweeted it out as part of a thread and mentioned the source as we were covering it in the space. I got a lot of backlash. Why are you spreading FUD, et cetera? Because that's a, it's a thin line. You don't want to spread FUD. It's not good for the ecosystem. But at the same time, <laughs> everyone that criticized FTX before it imploded was FUD. Um, and when we did that thread, we got a lot I of thought, hate. I, then- I thought that FTX was FUD initially. I saw the Coindesk article. Everybody said FTX is going to blow up. I said, I haven't seen any evidence that they're insolvent. Show it to me. And then they were gone like two days later. I wasn't saying they weren't. I just said, show me the proof. But yeah, I, I, I mean, almost everyone thought FTX was solvent. And now the, the two that, are un, that were under our radar back then was obviously DCG, very heavily. And even then, even after FTX, I had Simon, uh, it was mainly Simon Dixon. And uh, he's on all my spaces. We're just he's talking been on all and my I'm show. telling him. Yeah, yeah he's, he's incredible. And, and he's telling me, like, I'm asking him, like, man, can you, uh, are you concerned about DCG? And we still couldn't say yes. That was back when Genesis, uh, uh, when the first, you know, the FUD started spreading around Genesis before anything was official. And then later in that day, we found out about the loans that, we, you know, we we're talking about our spaces. Barry sends out the letter. Bloomberg covers it uh, within hours. That was really quick. Uh, I'm not saying it's because of us, just maybe the timing. But uh, even then, we couldn't criticize DCG. And even today, there's a lot of reasons to criticize Binance. A lot of reasons, a lot of concerns. I still am a fan of Binance, just FYI. Um, and I think they did some wrong things in the early days. Who didn't? Um, they're much better now. But then again, what the hell do I know? Um, but even today, if I get, and I, obviously a lot of people send me information because they see us as the, uh, you know, the people that break, you know, that, that kind of call out fraud and stuff. But I get all this stuff. And even today, it's just really difficult to criticize the, the incumbent big players. And I just don't think, I think in a few years' time, um, unfortunately, are you seeing a move to decentralization? Because I'm seeing money flow back into exchanges very heavily as exchanges being treated as banks. Yeah, I, I, think, see- that, I think that the one thing that I learned from that meeting was that nobody learns from their mistakes and we will just repeat a different, slightly version of the exact same. Scott, Scott, um, uh, three hours capital imploded in 2022, yeah? Yeah. Do you know we're not in 2028? We're not even 2025. We're in 2023 like right now, man. It's six months ago. It's six months ago. And to your point, I think that, first of all, crypto Twitter gets everything wrong, right? So the assumption that they were going to jail or the regulators after them, who knows, right? But I can tell you factually that they're walking around in the mall in Dubai taking meetings in cafes at the mall with no security while their wives are going shopping and going about their lives. And nobody's chasing them. That was actually the, the point that Kyle made, that he, like his first point to try to convince us that everything was okay. He's like, why are there no lawsuits against me? Why is, you know, why is no regulator come after me? Why am I not arrested if Sam was arrested after one month? He's like, if I did something wrong, why are all those things? I said, because sometimes it takes longer than seven months. That was my response. But that's how at least they're playing it and, and how they're living. They're just living. Have you done an episode? Have you done an episode on your interaction with them? I have not. So I kind of puked out some details on accident uh, the other day because I was just sort of disillusioned. But I mean, I can, I have the option to have him 
I think, on my podcast. hundred percent. I'm just weighing so. it. A hundred percent do so. I think that's a good that, right. That, that, I want to ask you about that. How much concern do you have for platforming people that you think could be damaging? Because you know that they're going to come on and speak their narrative and some of it, the facts aren't out yet. So it's hard to dispute. Um, I would do it as a, no, you don't need others. You're enough. You know a lot. Yeah. You know your shit. You're pretty good at this. So you don't need anyone else. You're going to challenge the hell out of them by yourself. And you got all the information and you understand things pretty well. Um, I think if you're if you're if you're gonna platform someone like the way Sam was platformed in the interview he did on the New York Times just before our space, yeah. the day before our space, if you're gonna do one of those, um, then no. But if if you tell them, hey, I'm gonna, I don't want any limitations on what questions I can ask, then a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because what will happen is that investors they're meeting will see that. Um, so it's not only the, 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 the first uh, for your show. It's it's a you know it's it's you know it's it's a good thing, man. It's it, the first interview they have. They done any interviews since they I came back? I think Kyle's been around a bit. I saw him on CNBC or something. But listen, they're good. Like that they're going to start count. doing stuff. Count. Just like SBF came out of the woodwork for that few days because I think he thought he could help his case before he got arrested. I think they're just on there. I mean, I'll tell you something funny. So. I don't know if you saw, but they're, you know, starting a new exchange, right? And part of the core of that exchange is that you're going to be able to trade your claims on FTX, Voyager, Celsius actively and use that as liquidity for your other trading. And the initial press release called it GTX, which is obviously one letter away from FTX and also one letter away from Gox, right? Gox, yeah. I said to him, like, I sat there, I was not nice, particularly kind. And I said, are you guys trolling? Like, this is a joke, right? You're Damien GTX? He says, yes. He said, we did that to get attention and immediately changed the name after it got the hype to open exchange or whatever they're calling it. So they're literally, not only are they out there and fine, but they're running a PR campaign and trolling the industry in the process. What do we... You know, there's a lot of rumors around what Three Arrows Capitals, the capital did with the funds and, and the, you know, the, the falsified statements, et cetera, to get more loans. Have you addressed any of those with them when you met them? That's the first, the, literally the first question that I asked him was, what lie did you tell Steve Ehrlich at Voyager to get him to give you $700 million? That in verbatim, exact words I said. And he laughed and he said to me, Steve was so desperate to continue to give yield to his customers that he had $700 million sitting that was not earning yield and said he had to find a way to do it. He called us. He said, can I give you $700 million? Asked for no collateral, which is a fact, and asked for nothing but a statement of their AUM. Didn't ask about their trades, where the money was going, and handed them a check. So who does you know that make the criminal? I'm I, I'm not saying I'm not, it's true I'm or not it's not. A lot of that did come not, out in the investigation, but that means that it's the that was the Kyle's point. He was like, "We're just taking the money from the institutions." Listen, that's colorblind to not pretend you don't know that's customers' money and real people are being hurt. That's nonsense. But his point was, someone offered me seven hundred million dollars for free. I think I'm a god tier trader. Of course, I'm going to take the money. And he openly admitted that they had just blown up, right? He was, I asked, what'd you do with the money? He was like, we 
bought a bunch of shit coins at a discount over the counter. And we blew up on leverage longs and we blew up on Luna and that blew everything else up. He's like, we blew up. We thought that the bull market would ever end. We lost all our money. And that's that. That was his, that's what he was saying. He's saying they never falsified. I asked him specifically, but I can't prove that. That's my point. Like I can't take his word for it, but he said all he ever showed anyone was an AUM statement. They never had to show any of the people that they were taking loans from any of the things that we think they must have falsified. I don't believe that personally. I'm not, I, I, I'm not, but I, I, I can't, I, I'm not surprised. I don't know if it's true or not, obviously. No, but, but these I, people were so greedy and so hungry for yield. I do believe that they pushed the risk that far. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that they, the, the, the Steve just wanted to throw money at them. Like every project was was saying no. Investors, we were chasing projects, begging them to take our money. Remember the the the, the projects that had all the you know any project backed by Anamoka back then when Anamoka were the gods before they started their shotgun strategy. And as a VC, you had to convince them. You had to offer them free services to take your money. In what industry do VCs with the liquidity beg projects to take their money? That never, and on a regular basis, that was on a daily basis for 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 multiple projects a week. These things don't happen. So there was just a lot of money, and I, I just be very surprised. I don't. I just be very surprised from all the things we've seen, and obviously we don't share most of it because you know we can't verify it, so we don't know what to share, what not to share, what's fact, what's not. But I'd be very surprised if if they don't get into trouble. But then again, if they know they did, they're not stupid. If they know they did something wrong, like what makes me question this now is that they're walking around in Dubai. They're not right, walking around SBF in Vietnam. But SBF also came out and tried to do his narrative exactly. as well against the advice of his lawyers. So sometimes, I mean, I, I'm not speaking about them specifically, but I think that people can be so narcissistic that they actually believe what he's saying. He may not in his own my mind even be lying, even if he did commit a crime. I mean, I, there's a part of me that believes that SPF truly thinks he did nothing wrong. Like in his own mind that he's convinced himself that he just made some bad business decisions and wasn't a fraud. Uh, we all know he's a fraud. That's not my point. But I think that at a certain point, cognitive dissonance sets in for these people. But regardless, there's still people throwing money at Three Arrows Capital in large amounts, willingly and knowingly with all of the things that are out there from the past. That scares me. Because, because they, they know nothing will change. They know these guys managed to make money in the last bull run, and they'll do it again. I just don't know how their exchange will work. Like At the end of the day, for their exchange to work, it needs adoption. I'd be... What you know what he said what? to me? You know what he said to me? He said, we just want to... Like, he was like, FTX, for all their problems, they were the best product. You know, Their engine was amazing. It's like, we just want to be like the next FTX, but better. Can you imagine being Kyle from Three Arrows Capital and saying to people right to their face that you want to be the next FTX? I mean, he was saying like technologically and adoption, but... Logic, uh, look, logically, logically, it makes sense. And like, if you look at it objectively, it makes yeah. sense. Okay, FTX had a lot of better pros, a lot of good things if it was run properly. But how, how ignorant, how distant from reality how they're like living in their own bubble, and I'm I'm sure they'll watch this, or someone will tell them to watch this if you publish all this. How, how distant are they from reality to say something like this? Like they played a role in causing the crash. They lost people's money. 
And then they create an exchange calling it GTX, intentionally purely to get attention. And then they, they he refers to FTX as wanting to copy them, removing the, 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 the logic from it. It just shows, it's just depressing to hear, man. It's depressing to hear what, what you just told me. I had no idea of any of this. Remember, I've been in my own world trying to keep up with the show and just running the business IBC. I didn't know this. I didn't know they were walking around. I didn't know they'll raise the money that quickly. I did see the announcement they raised the money. I sent it to, um, you wouldn't know, Wahid. I, I sent it to a big investor, a traditional investor, a private equity guy that got into crypto um, about a year and a half ago, very, very, you know, about two years ago. And, and man, the guy was, was, was fuming, but also just depressed, just disheartened. He's like, Mario, I really don't get it. I don't get you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you know, listen, like guys that uh, blew up in the 80s and 90s in, in the United States or even in the 2008 crisis, a lot of them had a redemption tour. But like you said earlier, it was like eight or 10 years later. Not not while the not entire months thing later. was ongoing. I mean, they're they're raising money while people, at least I, publicly, and listen, I can't, it left me with a lot more questions and answers, speaking with them, you know, doubting things on both ends. But you would think there would at least be a cool off period where rationally people would say, you guys need to like go away for five years and, you know. Have you, you know. I know you get a lot of information because you have the show. I don't know if you can share anything, but have you had anyone reach out to you on whether um, any regulators are looking at taking action, whether there's any investigations, any cases? I've only are... seen what everybody's seen, which is the conjecture that the Singapore regulator is after them and went to their offices and there was nothing there and all those things. But there seems to be very little real information. And Kyle was using that fact when we were speaking. He continued to say, nobody's really after us. Nothing's there's happening a, here. Isn't like, Interpol, Interpol is after uh, Do, Do Kwan, yeah? Do Kwan. So, yeah, so that's Do Kwan is in trouble. And that's Do Kwan's in trouble with South Korea, which has become a larger thing because he's from South Korea. But that, you know, I think that's more uh, that they're a more okay. serious regulator. And, and, and so, but that's, that's pretty serious. <laughs> Quite serious. Yeah. And obviously, Sam is, is in big trouble. Um, um, Celsius, Mashinsky, likely going to be in trouble, according to the people I'm speaking to. So there's not many big guys left other than Three Arrows Capital left standing. Yeah. The BlockFi people yeah, I, I uh, don't be, seem, I, I haven't seen any uh, intel that the BlockFi people will get in any trouble. I'm, you're speaking of Mashinsky. I don't have any idea, but I'd be surprised if something doesn't come along there. And yeah. I think it remains to be seen with Genesis and DCG. But these things, as you said, these things do take time. I'm just extremely surprised that they're walking around in Dubai so comfortable. And I'm extremely surprised VCs would do their DD, I guess now in the midst of a bear market where liquidity is a massive liquidity crunch in crypto and outside of crypto. I'd be very surprised. I don't I don't get it. Are you sure they raised the money or is it just somewhat? I, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's been reported. He sat there and giggled about it, said it took a very short period of time. And they have this token that's related, the Flex token that uh, a lot of uh, big names and people we're familiar with, I don't, share people's name. There's people that's openly supporting them um, that are buying over the counter. And the coin's gone from, I, I can't quote it, but five cents to over a dollar or something in a matter of weeks. And you have to remember, they're the ones selling it directly. So it's they don't even need to pump it to dump it. They're literally getting liquidity in real time 
selling it to people who then I guess can trade it on the open market eventually when there's a market. Pretty wild. We need someone like yourself interviewing them. And again, um, I, I, I pride myself on always being objective. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe they didn't do anything wrong. Maybe we put them in the same basket as FTS Sam and, and Do Kwan and others, and they shouldn't be. And uh, if that's the case, if they didn't do anything wrong, which I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if they didn't, then they have every right to launch a new project and they're both very intelligent and they, you know, Flex Token could be killing it and they might do the right thing by their investors next time around. They might have learned their lesson. So objectively, I'd love to see that interview. Um, and It's uh, all possible. I, come out. Like, I, I just wish that there was somebody I could put on the other side and I haven't figured out quite who that is. I'm not talking, I know I can ask the questions, but I wish that there was someone who had facts on the other side they could actually refute certain things they say in real time if they're not factually true. I just don't want yeah. them to be able yeah. to present things as fact that are not fact because nobody has the information. Yeah, si to Simon, that. That's my Simon, Simon could help a lot in this. Simon Dixon, he's usually my guy and he's one of the main guys I would go to in crypto. I, I obsess over this as well. Like I'm always worried to have someone on stage or cover a certain story without having the other side there to, to keep it balanced. Um, or if we're making allegations to have both sides, including someone with the facts. So yeah, have a chat to Simon and, and there's a few other names that I'll tell you offline. Um, but yeah, try to make it happen and and, and do so <laughs> do so fast, Scott. Yeah, I will. Maybe we'll do it on Twitter spaces so everybody can listen. It's got a bigger audience, right? Uh, uh, yeah. And so I guess then just circling back before I let you go, now that you've built this and it's snowballing in real time, a, well, hey, what's the business model? I guess is a good question. B, that's a really good question. Yeah. Like you're, you're obviously staffing up, you're hiring all kinds of people, you're never sleeping. I mean, I know because we were trying to link up when I was in Dubai. I mean, I know that you literally keep US hours living nine hours ahead. You're in the future. What's the end game here? Is the end game. Is it a noble quest to provide better information than existing media stories? You're a capitalist. Like, what is the end game here? Yeah, so I'm an entrepreneur. Even though I love doing what I'm doing, I love calling out bullshit and, and squashing misinformation. And I've loved it even before I got into business. Um, the goal is obviously I'm building a business. And it's owned by IBC, which is my incubator uh, accelerator. And now moving more to a media company. So we're partnering with other, other media companies. We've acquired a few media assets. So what I'm doing in the bear market is uh, not only acquiring digital assets, but acquiring attention. Um, and again, you've been doing your show for, for how many years? It's been, well, I mean, I've been doing my podcast since for three years, basically three years. And uh, there you go. The, the, the YouTube came much later. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you, and, and you've been in the space even longer and you've seen, uh, you know, you know, you remember how CoinDesk and Cointelegraph where I was talking to Cointelegraph in, in Davos, you know how how tiny they were when they launched. And they were just humming along in the bear market, grabbing attention, building out their credibility, and look at them today. So it's a similar approach. Um, the monetization model is really easy. Like we have an incubator accelerator accelerator, we get a lot of deal flow, we'll be able to offer our projects exposure on the show, the conversion rate on the show, if you know, telling them to sign up to a newsletter, etc., is really high. And then we'll use the show to kind of obviously support our projects, but also build out other media assets, build out a newsletter from the, the audience in the show. So monetization is not difficult. When you have attention, monetizing that attention is not hard at all. And then what I'm trying to do is expand into other, um, other niches. So we talked about AI roundtable. So I'll just use my main show 
to promote the AI ones. So anyone that likes AI can go there. So that's the monetization structure for the crypto show that we have that's run by my partner, Fidgetal. Um, obviously, that's, that's the same monetization model we had prior to, to my show going outside of uh, crypto. Um, and yeah, and IBC is still my, the, 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 business, the business side of things in the background. I lost a lot of money when the show blew up, by the way, because I couldn't accept sponsors. I can't have senators coming on my show and then talking about, talking about this NFT project um, and, and, and those PFPs or, or that, that DEX that we're back supporting or decentralized. And I can't talk, you know, I'm invested heavily in decentralized social. I can't have Elon on my, on my show and then be talking about decentralized competitors to Twitter uh, while Elon supports the space. I have a similar situation. I obviously do have a sponsorship model, but for example, every Thursday morning, I do a round table, which is three random guests, which becomes a podcast. And I don't accept sponsorship on that one because eventually one of the guests is going to conflict with the sponsor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a problem. Uh, I think I was. That's the first time I was on your show. Was one of those roundtables. Yeah, exactly. Talking about FTX. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it just makes it tricky. But uh, sponsorships is one way to monetize. It's not really the best way. Um, adding adding a show because like we're acquiring a lot of shows that don't really know how to monetize. Um, obviously, some shows don't need to monetize. Some people are pretty well off and they're doing the podcast just for fun. But if they're, they're building out the podcast or a YouTube show or um, another Twitter space or a newsletter and their goal is to make money. A lot of them just don't know how to do it because they, they rely just purely on sponsorship. I think it's just, it's just a boring way to build a business. Um, when you've got a whole business model on the back end, uh, it, it's much easier to monetize it. You could do it even without having sponsors. You know, Just the amount of deal flow and the amount of connections I got from the show is insane. Is insane. Um, the, the, the caliber of the guests we get um, and, and that's a better way to monetize the show versus sponsors, which is still great. And we do sponsorships as well. Well, at least we're doing them again now after taking a break for, I don't know how many months. Well, I love what you're building, man. I can't wait to see how big it can become in the future. As long, of course, as Twitter doesn't just disappear and go offline. <laughs> now we're streaming on YouTube. We're streaming on Rumble. <laughs> it's been doing well there as well. So uh, we're hedging our risk. But I owe it to Elon. Like you know, he supported me a lot, and and I'm I'm trying to do my part. So uh, I'll go down with the ship. Yeah, me me too. Like, Twitter goes down, I'll be the last man tweeting. No, no, no question. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, you and I are going to be that like string band on the Titanic. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. jumping off, and Mario and Scott are playing the cello and the violin. And that happened. That happened on a platform called Deezer. Remember Bitcloud? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. What happened to Bitcloud? Thing. I forgot about that. Oh man, it's still humming along, but it's it's yeah, we'll, we'll do it off the record. But it's um, it's the same thing. It was blowing up, and then you just had. I remember checking up, and it's like literally before it was like everyone was there. Now it's like five five names I recognize still tweeting. Not even five, like three still tweeting. Say hey, one day he's gonna be back. One day we say could you know we're laughing at them now, and then imagine they right. blows up. And Maybe they're, they're the early yeah, adopters. Imagine. I laughed at everyone on TikTok <laughs> in the first month too, and look where they got. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, man. Well, where can everybody follow you and check out your spaces? I mean, you're literally seemingly on every day, right? Yeah, exactly. We were meant to do a space today. We did one yesterday. We were meant to do two yesterday. So almost every day, I'm trying to reduce it. Um, it's it's mainly when there's breaking news. So whenever Always. whenever sh whenever shit hits the fan in the world, I'll be there. Like I have three phones that people, my team can call me on 24/7 if there's something major. Um, but generally, there's not much breaking news. Maybe twice a week max. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, so so just check it out on Twitter and and enjoy the show. All right. Well, I'll be looking for the next Chinese spy balloon. Okay. <laughs> I was laughing with my team. I'm like, guys, here we are. I'm like, so I was talking to my team. I'm like, guys, so we're going to do the balloon space. I'm like, hold on, hold on. Are we just talking about a balloon now? <laughs> Was that, are we all got all hands on deck getting all these big guests and all these politicians to come talk about a balloon? Is that is that where we're at? Like, I feel, yeah, that's I feel yeah like sometimes a, I feel that way on my show too, trust me. Media prostitute, I feel. I'm crazy, man. All right, man. I'm a, I know you have better things to do than talk about Chinese spy balloons, so I'm going to let you go, man. Everybody, <laughs> follow Mario. Thank you so much. And uh, Thanks, man. I'll fly and I'm going to talk to you about... Uh, well, let's make some plans. <laughs>